Hello, and welcome to Stern Chats. My name is Khalil Romain. And I'm Neha Tumala. We're doing a two-part series on entrepreneurship at Stern. Today's episode is a sort of where are they now look at the real-world impact of the Stern Venture Fellows Program. I know the program is exceedingly competitive, but not that much more about it. Wow. SVF. That's so hard to get into. Yeah. To learn more, we'll be talking to current MBA Hillary Bush and SVF alum Arash Asadi. I'm so excited. Me too. We're recording this episode in partnership with the Stern Entrepreneurship and Startup Association, and we're so happy to have their co-president Hillary with us to chat. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Hillary. Welcome to Stern Chats. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so, so delighted to be here. Absolutely. As you know, we are exploring Stern Venture Fellows and speaking to Arash Asadi and David Koh. And we wanted to hear a bit more about ESA, a really important organization at Stern, and how you think its place in the Stern ecosystem has evolved today. Yeah, um, I love that question. And I love that we're shining some light on all the entrepreneurial resources at NYU and at Stern. So. To share a little bit about where ESA sits on campus, it's a student club. Uh, it stands for the Entrepreneurship and Startup Association. And I have the delight of being co-president alongside Jamie McAlpine, another second year MBA on campus. And our remit is to increase the chances of success for anybody pursuing anything entrepreneurial or startup associated. So there's a ton of students on campus um, that are looking to work at startups. Uh, and there's a lot of students on campus looking to start businesses either now or one day. Um, and we're really kind of the connective tissue that will point them in the direction of all of the resources on campus. So uh, we do a lot of programming for current founders or future founders. So we have our founder tribe community, and that's a lot of happy hours, ideation nights, and just getting people together in low pressure situations. Um, we do a lot of programming, bringing speakers onto campus, either virtually or in person. So connecting with venture capital people, connecting with founders, alumni, what have you. Uh, we're also very involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem at NYU. So um, we do uh, a bunch of engagements with the Berkeley Center at Stern and then the NYU EI, uh, which is kind of the umbrella organization across all of NYU to help get students experience operating. So um, that would be something like the MBA consulting program with the 300K challenge. Uh, we get MBAs to help early stage startups progress their ideas in meaningful ways and things like that. More than anything, entrepreneurship is about getting the right advice at the right time. And our solution to that is helping build community so that people can ask questions, uh, check the newsletter, and hopefully we are something that's evergreen and always active so we can get people that advice that they need to get to the next step. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I wanted to dig into Stern today. So when we traditionally think of Stern, I think, you know, 10 years ago, it was the dominant word was finance. Mm -hmm. But now we see so much more of a buzz around entrepreneurship. Love to hear your thoughts there and how is it resonating with students today at Stern? I love that observation and I, I hold the same one. So 
I mean, I think across like all of the economy, just to take the meta view of it, entrepreneurship and becoming a founder has become a lot easier, uh, relatively easier. It's not easy by any means right now, a lot more accessible and a lot more like sexy and reported on. Um, we've seen a ton of companies take off. I remember when Uber and Lyft were just launching in San Francisco during my senior year of college. And now there's huge companies taking off like that all the time. So I think a lot of people have become more interested in it. At Stern, you know, I think our roots are probably very well set in finance. And we have a lot of folks going into consulting and, and big tech of the like. There are a lot of people with what I would describe as an entrepreneurial spirit or an energy or deep interest, and they just don't know where to put it. And MBA programs oftentimes uh, don't know what to do with that energy either. Um, and so they really funnel people towards consulting and finance and, and big tech, which are amazing career paths. What we want to do at ESA is help people that do have that entrepreneurial spirit feel like they have a path and a direction and a way to use it. Um, so that they don't kind of ignore it because they, they're not comfortable with the ambiguity of it or they see all the folks around them kind of doing these paths and then they think to themselves like, oh, maybe I should go do that because it seems like something everyone else is. And so I think like at Stern in particular, even comparing last year to this year, there's so many more people interested in starting companies and there's so many more people interested in getting involved in venture capital. And you can see that in the size of the group text is is not five people, it's 25 people. And the amount of people showing up to the events is not 10 people, it's 30 people. And I find that super, super exciting. And I think as, as we start to promote and create structure around these communities and, and pathways, that will only grow and grow. I, I get really excited about it because I think Stern, Stern students have a really unique position that they're in because we're in New York and it's a very creative environment. And I, I think that there's a lot of untapped potential that that's just starting to grow now. Absolutely. And what do you see as maybe the top three common struggles that student entrepreneurs face? I would answer this question as it depends on where you are in the entrepreneurial process. And there, there really isn't one generic process, which is part of the problem. But I think for, for folks that are coming onto campus and want to start a company, but don't know what it is. I think that that first part of finding the idea and finding conviction in the idea is really tough. Um, it requires a lot of conversations that feel unproductive or a waste of time, but three months later, you realize it was incredibly important. Um, it requires a lot of vulnerability. It requires a lot of nights and weekends work when you'd rather be out at a happy hour with friends or working out or at a movie or what have you. Um, so I think that exploratory phase is just wrought with a ton of ambiguity and it's hard for people. Um, they're, they're not to do too much sale, selling on the entrepreneurship programs at Stern, but there are a lot of programs that can help you do customer discovery, ideation, et cetera, and, and kind of, um, add some fuel to the to the process of ideation and discovery. For MBA students that are starting companies, time management is really tough. I, I certainly struggle with this. I think an MBA program is such a unique opportunity to essentially sample five different lives at the same time. And you one of the challenges is 
figuring out what to say no to, because there's so many amazing opportunities to say yes to. Um, And the result of that is your plate is overloaded. You're doing five different things at the same time. And there's not really any clear, long blocks of time to focus and, and do thinking. Um, and then I, I, I really do think in, a, in an MBA program, um, staying focused and feeling confident that this weird, wacky and unique path is, is the right one for you is a huge challenge for people. And so this is related to what I was talking about earlier, which is there are so many lucrative career paths available to you in an MBA program that are amazing, can lend some amazing experiences, can help you travel the world, do all of these really interesting things. Um, But if you want to pursue entrepreneurship, you have to say no to those things and not get distracted. And I think that's really hard for people. Um, We often joke, you kind of get pulled into the circles of of consulting and finance, which is amazing career paths, but sometimes not right for people. And so I think having the the confidence in yourself and the consistent commitment to this weird path is, is a struggle that a lot of people have. I've, I've certainly gone through that experience myself last year, um, recruiting for big tech and then realizing at the end of the process, like it wasn't sitting well with me, but it was really hard to kind of put a pin in that process and, and leave it behind and then restart recruiting. But I think the first semester of an MBA program has all of these false starts for people, but even more so for people doing something a bit more entrepreneurial. No, I, I absolutely understand. And I think what you alluded to is that that structure that is really nice when you're in consulting or banking, because you know, you have to attend a certain set of events, you have everything is sort of planned. And it's that structure has to come from you as an entrepreneur. And it's so hard when there's not many people who are following that path. But I think if anyone would understand that journey, it would be you. Because in addition to being a a VC fellow, you've worked at the dorm room fund, you're also working on your own startup. So tell us more. Thanks, Neha. And and I could have you answer these questions too. um, Because I know you're going through your own uh, path yourself. But um, it's very nice of you to say that. Yeah, I mean, to to give you a little bit of a background on my process, and I'll I'll tell you what I'm working on, but I think it's helpful to show how gauzy the process was, to to use that word. But I came to Stern with that entrepreneurial energy. I worked in startups before school um, and really loved it and loved product management at, at growing startups. And I wanted to use Stern as kind of an incubator program for myself. And, and, and I would encourage so many people to, to do that and like try and round out all these different gaps in your background by actually practicing in the field. So I came in with a couple of industries I was super interested in. Um, one is, and they're all very random. One is the wine industry. My family's been in wine for a hundred years. Um, another is education. I, I worked in online education before school. Um, and then a couple others. And I just talked to as many people as I could. Um, on Zoom, whether it be alumni, VCs, classmates, professors, et cetera. And then um, actually through that process, I was lucky to get connected with um, a very dear friend of mine and fellow Sterny, uh, Stern alum at this, at this time now, Isabel Scheinman. And we've been uh, working on a ton of ideas together and 
you know, ESA's a strong mafia. She was the co-president last year and uh, I'm, I'm happy to carry the torch from her. Um, but through a long process of starting with just an idea and something we thought was interesting and talking to customers and getting feedback and, you know, creating all of these pitch decks as thought exercises and realizing over time that these previous ideas didn't really sit well with us. We went through that process of, of moving slow to move fast. Um, and it took about a year to kind of do research and, and come through some ideas. So what we're working on now, um, we're calling it Pollen, and it is a workforce entry program starting with moms reentering the workforce. And we provide a product that helps people reflect on their unique experiences, both professionally and personally, and their interests and their economic needs. And we match them to potential pathways that fit within their life. And then we provide all of the training and curriculum they need to go and pursue that pathway. So this is really born from watching our moms go through this experience. Once uh, they had children, they paused their career. And once their youngest kids um, went back to school, they had a bit of extra time, but they didn't want to go back to what they were doing before. That corporate work didn't resonate with them. They were being underpaid as it was and were set to be even more underpaid. Um, and they just didn't have the rigid schedule or the schedule to fit those rigid needs. Um, and so my mom, she decided she wanted to work to both supplement income and maintain her own identity. And so she started a, a small clothing business and built a website in the late 90s, which was not an easy feat. Um, and then she coached my lacrosse team uh, for a decade. And then she started a wine business, which she still runs. And they just launched a rebrand a couple weeks ago, which is just a, such a cool process to watch. And it, watching my mom, like that process was really not easy. It was hard for her to figure out that's what she wanted to do, to actually take the steps to do it and, and to grow it into a business. And what we want to do is make that process a lot easier both for moms, our starting point, as well as for anyone that's wanting to create a career on their own terms eventually. So that's where we're at right now. That's really inspiring. And what deep user empathy that you were able to really hone in on, you know, a customer or a group of people who deeply need this these set of services. So that's super impressive. And we wish you so much luck and we're rooting for you. And, uh, you know, Stern Mafia, I think that sounds really cool. Can we get swag or a t-shirt yes. with that made? Yeah. Um, let me talk to Jamie, see if we can get any ESA budget to cover that. That would be awesome. Sounds great. And on that note, thank you, Hillary, for being on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm delighted to be here and I love supporting anyone pursuing anything entrepreneurial at Stern. I think it's such a great opportunity to use an MBA and, and uh, thanks for having me. We're now going to continue our conversation by checking in with Arash Asadi, the CEO of Bits of Stock. He's a 2018 SVF fellow and a 2017 Stern grad. Luckily, he's back in town all the way from the Netherlands, and we're so excited to have him. Let's get started. Uh, Arash, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
Arash, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with us. I think to start the conversation, we'd like to go back to the beginning. So can you tell me a little bit about what brought you to Stern? Um, and if you kind of had an eye on the university's resources for entrepreneurs when you kind of made that decision. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I started, I'm, I moved to New York City in 2013. Um, I, I had made a complete career transition at the time. I, I have a military background and then made it made a transition to finance as I as I went to New York City for university initially. And um, long, long story short, started a career on Wall Street. And at the time, <clears throat> I think one of the things that I thought could round out my my background really well was was an MBA. Um, and I looked at various universities in in the city, and NYU had kind of one of the only unique programs that allowed you to work full-time and, and also go to school um, full-time or part-time to get get the MBA. Um, and I was working full-time when I first started at NYU Stern. So that that was certainly a part of the decision-making process for me. But also, you know, that it, it was very much interesting that NYU had such a such a large, you know, entrepreneurial network and <clears throat> alumni, but also a lot of programs that supported uh, students who were interested in, in, in starting their own companies, uh, great, great advisors and, and, and other entrepreneurs and residents. And that, that also really was interesting for me as, as at the time I knew at some point I wanted to, um, you know, take a, take an entrepreneurial endeavor and, and continue, um, moving away from kind of what I was doing on wall street into, into a startup. Got it. So I guess I'm curious on what your mindset was. Like, did you come in really identifying more as an accelerator, like you're checking a box, or did you come in kind of knowing the ultimate long-term goal was to to kind of venture out on your own? Yeah, no, I think um, you know, I, part part of it there was a lot of uncertainty as well. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't yeah. I didn't know that 100 I was going to do something entrepreneurial at the time, um, but I, I knew that that door would open for me when I joined NYU Stern and, and I, at the time I was working on wall street as a, as a rates derivatives trader. Um, so very different kind of background than, than, than entrepreneurship. Um, but I knew, you know, going into an MBA program, I could, I could get a lot of general skills, uh, in, in different areas of, of expertise that ultimately would lead me to a path, uh, you know, going down the corporate corporate path, uh, whether that's a, a career in product management or, or other areas that was interesting to me at the time. However, all those skills that I was going to learn anyway would also help me in a startup, um, which which it did. And so it was it was more about keeping that optionality open and kind of the program really gave me um, the tools to 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 be able to choose, you know, really what I wanted to do next. Awesome. Uh, then can I ask, like, what's the story of how like how you got to Stern Venture Fellows? Like, how did that end up uh, coming to be? Well, we we were um, I met my co-founder in, at, while I was at NYU. Um, NYU Stern, we met in a machine learning course. He was doing his master's in computer science, um, taught by Professor Dar. Really good course. Highly recommend if it's still there. Um, and and ultimately, we we set up. We, you know, together we wanted to, to do to do a few fintech projects, and that, those led to essentially the startup that we have today. But we we joined the NYU Entrepreneurs Challenge, um, the 300K Challenge, and that was kind of how we met Cynthia Franklin and the team that also supported Stern Venture Fellows. Um, and, and so through that program, um, we became, became familiar with Stern Venture Fellows. And it was a really good match for us at the time, being both still students working, um, but also getting a program more tailored to us being Sternies as opposed to the, the, the challenge, which was for the entire university. Um, but that's how we initially discovered the program and, and applied, applied to it. 
No, that's incredible. And one of the reasons why, you know, we wanted to have you back is, is we wanted to kind of like look back and see, you know, what role, if any, did SVF play in your journey, especially as an entrepreneur uh, today? Yeah, the most exciting part was, you know, in the beginning, we really got to at, before that program, my co-founder and I, we didn't really work together from an office. Um, you know, we, mm. we, we, we definitely we're collaborating and, and, and working on projects together, but that program really stuck, put us in the same room for an entire summer um, and, 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 and put a lot of goals and metrics in, in place for us to, to hit and, and together. And that really helped kind of build that foundation for my co-founder and I to work together and to start collaborating and, and working towards the same goal. So I think, and like a lot of these accelerator programs, but this was also at Stern. So they turned, I think it was uh, part of the admissions office or part of the building into into office space for the Stern Venture Fellows that summer. And so we, we were there with, a, you know, I think nine or 10 other startups and we all got to use the same co-working space. Um, and, and so every every day we'd go in, you know, work, work on our work on our products and, and, and company and vision and uh, ultimately having to kind of present to the other startups and, and to the advisors in the program on a weekly basis really helped us kind of keep on track, keep refine our goals and, and stay focused. Um, but the program also kind of, you know, that every week what they would have, um, other entrepreneurs or in investors come visit, give us lessons and, and classes that uh, typically you wouldn't get in an MBA program. Um, so, you know, especially around fundraising, we had a lot of good VCs come come and um, g- give us lessons on on fundraising and what what are term sheets and the dynamics of of, of different fundraising rounds. Um, so so a lot of firsthand experience um, with with I would what I would say are you know aspects of entrepreneurship that you don't really learn in school. And I think that was that was one of the best uh, parts of that summer. And then, um, you know, we took a trip to San Francisco, to, uh, all of us together, which was really, really cool. Um, and, and so we were in San Francisco, I think, for, for a week. Um, and we got to meet with uh, many different VCs that were that were there. And actually, for a lot of the startups, this is the first time, you know, pitching to VCs, getting feedback from some some tier one VCs at the time. Um, and, and so I think that was a big uh, learning experience for 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 us as well, and that was obviously made made possible by by the Stern Venture Fellows alumni and David Co, um, who, who has a really strong network there. Um, so so it was a good firsthand experience into um, into into fundraising and the VC world, but also kind of seeing some of the startups that have had been funded by these VCs. We got to visit their offices um, and, and and see how these startups had grown. Some of them were, you know, twenty people, and then other others are others were four hundred, and we got to see kind of the differences in between the startups and scale ups that had that had been venture backed, um, and, and all the challenges that they went through to get there. Um, so it was a really good experience. The summer was uh, was transformational, I would say, but the, the trip to San Francisco really kind of put a nice end to the program. Incredible. Do you have any advice for? fellows who are kind of considering SVF or actually, you know, who are really, let's say seriously considering SVF, entrepreneurs challenge, they are all in. Now I'm talking about a smaller group of motivated people. They may get in, they may not get in. What is it that, I think two-part question, what is it that, you know, you think uh, SVF is really going to give to these fellows who are looking to apply? Uh, And you know, kind of what would you tell maybe your past self as you were kind of going through this process? Would you, is there anything else that you would want to maybe extract uh, a little bit more of, lean into certain resources in a better way? Yeah. No, I mean, I, my, to your first question, I would say if you're considering it, stop considering it and just do it. Uh, you know, just apply. Uh, and, and 
whether you get in or not, the application process alone, I think, will will, will be a teachable moment for for many um, inspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, and and you know, to a lot of times, I, I think we we tried the challenge twice, so it, it's not a it, it, you shouldn't expect to get in the first time or to do really well the first time. You know, you can you can apply multiple times or multiple years. Um, but if you if you miss out that that first time, then then you've already lost one opportunity, right? So so definitely, if if you're considering it, apply. Um, and and um, as I mentioned, the application process is 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 will will kind of tell you a lot about what you're how you think about your problem and what you're working on in itself. I would say also go go in very open minded. I know you know one of the things that we as MBA students, um, you know, especially going into NYU Stern, we have um, you know backgrounds in certain careers and, and knowledge. Um, and, and going into entrepreneurship, you really have to, you know, it's, it's, it can be a very humbling experience for a lot of a lot of people because um, it's it's you're out of your comfort zone. Uh, it doesn't matter how many years you were a trader or a product manager in another company or, or what company you came from. You know, entrepreneurship is a it, it levels the playing field, um, so so to speak. And so you got you have to kind of drop that ego and, and be open minded when you go into a program like this and just start from scratch. You know. Of course, you have the knowledge that you have, but when you go into the program, you need to be very coachable um, and, and very open to learning new ways of thinking even. Um, and, if, and if you're not open-minded and think that, you know, and, the, and it's, it's a challenge for entrepreneurs because a lot of times the problems that you're working on, the products you're building, you, you would consider yourself an expert in that field, right? So, you know, I, I, I'm working on a fintech company. You know, I thought at the time, I know there everything there is to know about fin and, fin and tech, and, and but but you have to kind of, be still very much open-minded and be able to learn new things, even if it's related to your own field. And if and if you're not, then you're going to kind of miss a lot of the learnings and lessons from that program. And so that's that's something I would have told myself going into that program, because um, it took a while for me to kind of to, to drop my guard, so to speak. You know, th- there's a lot of assumptions that I was operating under that um, that that it was hard for me to let go, having you know de- a, a deep expertise of of the finance finance field, for example. You um you called entrepreneurship a very humbling experience. And I think that brings to mind probably the most common kind of metaphor I hear from founders, which is that it's a roller coaster. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about like stamina? Like how do you find that staying power? Um, what advice do you have for other kind of aspiring entrepreneurs who are kind of looking down the barrel of this marathon and, and not sure how they're going to get to the finish line? Yeah, it's 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 like sprinting a marathon. You know, it's it's uh it's kind of that's kind of the, the how how it works in entrepreneurship, but I like to think of it as a commitment, and not and a lot of times people confuse motivation with commitment, and there there, there are times when the motivation levels are there or not there it, that should be very irrelevant because once you're committed to something, um, it doesn't matter how motivated you are at that moment in time, you 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 still see it through, and I think for me this concept was a little bit easier coming from a military background, but um, it, it it is a roller coaster and and the the it's but it's always it's never as bad as it seems and it's never as good as it seems and so i think once you kind of realize that and you see that you once you go through a few of those waves um you learn how to normalize them for yourself and and once you do you let you you weather them in a, in a much stronger way and so it is a marathon um you know the 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 ex the growth uh the growth patterns and uh, for for startups are never linear straight line um you know that the, there are ups and downs but you have to be able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and see all the progress you've made um, in, in any given time period um, because you're always going to get better if you keep doing it, right? So, because there's lessons in failures as much as there is in success. And so, 
I think that keeping that mentality is what's going to get you through the, the marathon, uh, seeing the bigger picture, seeing the progress and, and glasses uh, ha- half full. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So thinking back to kind of your first venture experience here with MC, um, how do you think about that kind of considering where you are now and, and what that was like back then? How do you think about it in hindsight? And, you know, what lessons do you think you keep with you from that experience, including the decision to walk away? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough one because, you know, MC Invest, uh, to give you some context, was designed to be a social trading platform. Where so 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 when when Ryan Gary and I met we we had this really strong deep passion for fintech we geeked out on fintech projects I being I myself being having a trading background but also a bit of a development background um, when I was when I worked on trading desks they were all algorithmic trading desks and I became obsessed with market microstructure and the technology that supports it and and he had an AI background so we. we 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 had this really strong interest and shared interest in fintech and you know ultimately we wanted to get other people to be as excited as we are and we couldn't and and so that really led us down this problem of how do we how, why do pe- why are people like us or people our age um, not interested in stocks or or investing or anything around fintech um, and then that's when we, when we discovered you know at the time 80% of people under the age of 34 didn't own stocks and that number hasn't gotten much better today but ultimately that is kind of what brought us together um, and and one of the, the the early thesis that we had was well we can actually get you know, there's there's about 20% of us that are really obsessed with finance and, and stocks, and and there are these individuals that like myself and Ryan who, who who you know take the time to read the news and 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 really want to uh, to to invest in the stock market, etc. Um, so we thought, well, well, how do we leverage that 20% of people to kind of get the other 80% involved? You know, how do how do we create this peer-to-peer sort of leadership um, and, and to to get people to actually in, interested in investing in stocks are you more likely to invest in stocks if you have a friend that doesn't shut up about it and and he's the one that you would like to just um, learn from and copy and so we designed a social trading pl- uh, platform which was called mc where the idea was you could copy trade the portfolios of your friends of 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 of, of people who were you know thought leaders in this space um so so number one it was extremely challenging to build as a platform, um, you know, you can you can already think about all the chicken and egg kind of problems that that arise, and you know, essentially is what one form of a marketplace. Um, but also the timing. So, like this is the lesson that I learned um, early on, and, and still carry to this day is timing is is much more important than speed. And and um, you know, with that platform, um, the timing was just really wrong because if you look at the market today. You see a lot of um, actually startups and, and, and scale-ups now trying to solve the problem through what we exactly what we what we design. I can name a few, you know, that are even NYU and Columbia student alumni. Um, and, and so, but but what has happened since 2016, 2017 is this concept of socializing finance has become much more mainstream and modern. Where at the time when we were pitching VCs, you know, even VCs like Graycroft at the time, you know, this finance was deemed as more of a personal um, topic. People didn't want to share anything about their finances. Um, but the, the regulatory framework around this type of concept was was very unclear. And since then, with what's happened in, in this meme in the meme markets and, and Reddit, and with all the all the meme stocks that and and the stock market participation has you know increased significantly since, since 2019. Um, socializing finance is is becoming a norm. And so I think the timing, the lesson there is that the timing 
is really important. And maybe if we had stuck with, with, with our concept and, and kind of seen it through, we would actually be positioned really well to take advantage of that trend. Now, that doesn't mean that I think those platforms are going to do well um, to, in today, but but certainly the, the, the trend would have been in our favor. Um, so that was an interesting lesson when I look back, um, you know, kind of, and, and we had really strong conviction on that idea ourselves, whereas a lot of our advisors at the time, a lot of the VCs we were speaking to did not. Um, and not, not just, in, you know, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lack of confidence in our ability to execute this, this vision. It was just the concept itself um, was, was, was what they were questioning. Um, and, and that's just, it, it, it kind of speaks to the, the, to, to the, dare I say, herd mentality of a lot of, a lot of uh, investors and VCs and, and advisors, um, which, is, which is normal if you think about the, the, the dynamics there. But so that, that was a really interesting lesson for me. We decided to step away from it because, well, ultimately we we thought of a better way to solve the problem, which which I do believe bits of stock is a better way to solve solve that problem, um, and and so that's that's ultimately why I stepped away from it. That sounds like a really great kind of way to segue into talking a bit more about bits of stock. Um, so you tell us a little more about kind of that journey. Yeah. So essentially, I mean, when we were when we were researching the problem, working on MC. You know, we, we kind of came on this realization that the problem is the problem. The problem that people, you know, people just don't care about investing. The people who don't invest in stocks don't, just don't care about the problem itself. They don't realize it's a problem, right? So, like, if you think about stocks as the ultimate vehicle to financial empowerment and retirement, um, you would you would assume that most people it would be top of mind for most people. But the the reality is that it's not, especially if you're under the age of twenty four. Um, and, and so. You know, we, we wanted to really figure out why it's not a problem and why ultimately when consumers, young consumers are faced with this, this, pre- this decision between present consumption and future consumption, why do we always choose present consumption over future consumption? Um, and, and there's a lot of, you know, theory and economics of finance around this of the rate of patients and interest rates, but most people don't think that way. So ultimately, we, we wanted to understand why we're always choosing present consumption over future consumption. And, and we looked at kind of where that consumer spend goes, you know, we're you know, younger generations, millennials, Gen Z, we are principal consumer generations with trillions of dollars every year in purchasing power. Um, and, and so most of that spend goes into daily lifestyle behaviors or, or conspicuous consumption. And, and ultimately, we wanted to understand why that is. And we looked at mar- the way brands are marketing to these consumers, you know, spend, the brands spend hundreds of billions a year on on marketing loyalty rewards programs, and often these programs uh, have a bit of a conflict of interest. I would say with the consumers themselves, these programs are very short term focused. Um, they're they're designed to get people to spend and live in the moment, um, but also for, it's it, they also don't really provide any real value to to customers. And so we thought, well, how can we kind of turn this model upside down by redistributing some of that spend? To, to consumers from the brands, but in a way that increases the, consu- the consumer's purchasing power over the long run. And a portion of that purchasing power actually comes back to the brands in the form of loyalty, whatever that means to the brand, incremental spend, retention, et cetera. Um, and, and actually the lifetime value of the customer is increased significantly um, compared to what, 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 what is the impact of providing short-term incentives like discounts and coupons, et cetera. Um, so that that was the premise behind bits of stock. So we, you know, it's a win-win-win, um, where where we want to help younger generations actually uh, build wealth, um, but do it in a way that builds affinity and loyalty with the brands that they love. Um, and, and part of our mission is to 
to address wealth inequality through the, through this framework. You know, when you look at the United States, ninety percent of stocks are owned by ten percent of people, um, and 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 you know, as, as stocks are kind of the leading driver of wealth inequality, well, they can also be the leading driver of decreasing it. And the way, unfortunately, governments and, and corporations have dealt with wealth, wealth inequality in the past is through for, short-term incentives, cash subs, and subsidies. And so we want to put stocks into the hands of the right of the right people. You know, younger demographics are even disproportionately impacted by by um, wealth inequality, and and it's even worse when you consider the different genders and other other cohorts and demographics. And so that that that's our really mission. But we we believe we can do that by essentially redistributing the marketing spend, starting with redistributing the marketing spend that brands are, are doing are spending on their on their programs, um, and and also you know. There, there's a benefit to to the brands in the form of form of loyalty, and so we're a consumer rewards platform that drives loyalty through what we call stock rewards, which are fractional shares of public and privately held companies. Um, and so we help younger generations invest and build long term wealth while building lifetime loyalty for for brands. I think that's incredible, and I also love how you know you've brought in the brands as you know that second client, that second persona in your in your business ecosystem. So I think you're solving some incredible problems here, and I really am excited to see where this goes. And I'd love to hear about you know Stern. You're back here. You're in New York City. I know you were at Washington Square Park, uh, you know, kind of connecting with the community. What was that like? Yeah, it's really good to be back in New York City. I haven't been back in a couple of years. Give you a little bit of context. We we joined actually a startup uh, accelerator program in uh, in in Amsterdam. They scouted us in New York, um, and and you know there was, there was a lot of lessons and learnings there. But ultimately, they scouted us to take MC to to license to to banks in Europe. Um, and when we got there, then we this is actually when we pivoted into this concept of bits of stock. But we ended up building a business in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam, um, where we got investors and, and and customers and clients. We actually. And we actually tested and proved this concept with one of the largest retailer in the Netherlands with over 400 shops. It was really interesting. We built an API for them to, and it was a privately held retailer. So they were able to um, launch a loyalty program in all their stores where customers earn points and they can convert those points into shares of the company. And so we, we were busy doing a lot of that in, 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 in Amsterdam. We, we built a team, you know, we had 15 employees there. And ultimately my, my co-founder, Ryan Gary, who was our, who's our CTO now stayed in New York and, and we still released our product. We still built and released our app in, for the U.S. market, but we were we were in beta from December 2019, where we did a lot of testing and learning with users, um, and, and doing um, a lot of research on what is the impact of stock rewards and consumer spend, and didn't really come out of beta until July of this year, with with about 40 different participating merchants. And so now, kind of as we've closed a new round of funding, we're we're we've, we're coming back to New York. Um, you know, we, we're going to build a a product marketing team here in New York City. So we're hiring for a lot of a lot of positions, hiring for developers, technical product managers, um, and, and marketers in, in New York. And we'll be making those hires in the next 30 to 60 days and really pushing for, for the US market. And so I'll be, I'm I'm visiting New York for, for obviously various reasons, but we were in what we're we're in Washington Square Park uh, this week and next week, um, you know, ha- handing out free lunch to NYU students. Um, but also the concept is, is quite clear. You know, we've partnered with Popeyes and Five Guys and, and brands like Zara to give NYU students free stocks when they shop with those brands. And so uh, at our table, at our booth, for example, there, um, we, have, we have these stickers and, and flyers where you can scan, pick which one you want to scan and you get free Popeye stock if you scan this one. 
after you link your bank account. And then if you go shop with Popeyes every time, I think you'll get two and a half percent back in stocks of Popeyes. So we're doing a lot of fun activation on the ground programs at NYU. Um, but it's it's kind of our, our entry into into the to the U.S. market as we come out of that of that beta program and now look to scale the platform. I think that's such a cool example of you know, hitting the ground and actually speaking to customers and being there in the park. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier than seeing a Sterny back at Stern. Me too. Making things happen. <laughs> it's great to be back. I, I miss New York City. And um, yeah, it, and it's it's really nice to be able to, you know, kind of put, put your product into hands of people and get direct feedback. Um, so no, I'm excited for what's, 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 uh, what's coming ahead. And, and certainly if, if there are any Sternies out there listening, we'd, We'd love to have uh, some some part time help while you guys are in school, um, and so we're we're hiring across the board. Um, check out our job board uh, at bitsofstock.com, and 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 uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me directly um, for, for any positions. No, absolutely. I, you just stole that last question right out of me, where I was like, I hope you're going to consider hiring some of us because we're absolutely going to be putting the word out there. Khalil, any last questions before we let Arash go? Yeah, you know, if it's okay, I. A while back, you mentioned that being an entrepreneur affects, you know, not just you, but the people around you, including your family. And, you know, it, it's more than just a job in a lot of ways. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that's like? And, and specifically, how do you feel being an entrepreneur has kind of shaped who you are outside of the workplace? Yeah, it's a very uh, good and, and deep question. Um, I, you know, it, it, so on the first, let's, let's just unpack that. So the first part where it impacts other people. You know, it's, it's entrepreneurship can be very difficult as we talked about the roller coaster. I'm really happy that there's a lot more discussions now around the mental health of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are founders, some doing really well, some not doing so well. And, and, and in both instances, you see impacts on mental health. Um, and so I think, you know, being having to go through a lot of the challenges and difficulties of, especially of, of trying to get it going from zero to one. Um, can impact your mental health as an entrepreneur, and and the way you deal with it um, is is I think the consequence is really what drives the consequences on yourself and the people around you. Um, and so, you know, b- how you address that mental health ch- issues or challenges is really important. And, and for 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 me, for example, I, you know, I think I, I I work out six seven days a week. That's that's part of like how I stay fit to be an entrepreneur for, to help my mental health and my physical health because it it takes a lot out of you physically as well. Um, you, you, you can, you can, especially early on, if, if you don't hold back, you can work, you know, 14, 16 hours a day, um, seven days a week. And one of the things that I had to teach myself is that, you know, you, you kind of have to let go a little bit of this hustle mentality and, and really give yourself mental breaks, um, treat, treat yourself, um, because you, you are the product as well. And, and as, as the founder of the company, you, the, the better you are as a person, mentally, physically, spiritually, the, the better the company will be as well. So I think a lot of founders have this mentality of I'm going to compromise everything about myself and, and just get, you know, almost self-destructive behavior to, to make, make this a success. And really that's not the way you want to go. You you really want to take care of yourself in every way possible because you, you need to be kind of, you know, work, ready for, for what come, what are the challenges ahead? So I, I, I for example, stopped working on weekends, um, you know, um, made sure I have really normal working hours, um, and, and I think that's that's quite healthy, actually. I think more entrepreneurs should do that. And and, it, and you'll probably actually have more successful results uh, doing it that way. And, and also you'll have a better impact on the people around you and, and you'll have a more normal 
lifestyle. And I think that all those will have compounding effects to, to your success as an entrepreneur. Awesome. That's really good to hear. I think that's it. Thank you so much, Arash. I cannot, again, just reiterating how incredible it is to kind of like look back potentially or look at a future version of ourselves. I mean, a very aspirational version of ourselves, I must say, Uh, but also maybe to put into context that uh, change is okay. It's okay that, you know, maybe what we're doing right now is not going to be what we're going to be working on a few years later. And it's, and I think the biggest takeaway for me was it's okay to take those risks and every opportunity counts. So just, just dive in. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the assumptions that we have, right? Like, you know, who knows? And and if all those assumptions can get thrown out the door, because in a few years it could be a pandemic, and and everything you thought about the way people work and the, and it just changes, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. The only thing constant is change, and you have to be really open to that. I think that's a great what you said is a great great way of looking at the future. Great, thank you, Arash, and see you back at Stern soon. Okay, thank you, guys. Wow, what a great conversation. We're so grateful to Hillary and Arash for joining us. Neha, do you think you'll come back in five years to flex your entrepreneurial success on us? 100%. (laughs) Join us again in part two next week when we will chat with the one and only David Coe.